Okay, so uh, I think what we're going to be doing now for the next, um, I don't know exactly how long it's going to be, the next duration of time is, I think I would like to go ahead and start doing uh, Shmon Esrei, to go through Shmon Esrei, the weekday Shmon Esrei, to understand what exactly is going on over there. And um, the truth is, is that this is an old class. I don't remember how long ago uh, I did it, but many, 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 many years ago, uh, this was done. It could be close to like 20, uh, 20 years ago or so. So uh, it's always exciting to review. And I figure 20 years is enough time that nobody would remember. <laughs> and uh, I think those things are on cassettes in the crawl space. So we're relying on the fact that it's not going to flood. And uh, if it does, that maybe those cassettes will actually survive and we'll be able to show grandchildren one day what exactly a cassette tape looks like. Okay, but in the meantime, so what we're going to do is, is we're going to um, have an introduction to, uh, to Shmon Esrei, the structure of Shmon Esrei. That's really where we're going to uh, to go. This is not all of the stuff, but we're going to do an introduction to the, explore the structure of Shmon Esrei. And then after that, so then we'll, uh, we'll have um, each one of the brachas will get its own series, its own topic, its own, uh, its own discussion. But the first thing is just to understand the the overall structure. Uh, if you want, uh, if it doesn't come to mind very quickly, so uh, it may be helpful to have a sitter in front of you just so you can see what exactly we're referring to. But either way, it shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be too bad. Okay. So, but there's there's nothing for us really to look at, you know, together other than uh, you know just uh, listen. Okay. So, Shmonesre. Uh, we know from uh, Chazal in many different places, but Shmon Esrei is divided into three different sections, three different parts uh, comprised of Shmon Esrei, and uh, they are, it's the basic structure, the basic breakdown is, it's the first three brachas, the last three brachas, and then the 12, if you call it Shmon Esrei, or 13 brachas, which we have in the middle. And they represent, there's different themes in each of those, uh, in each of those brachas, which are important to be uh, to be mindful of, and the way Chazal characterized it is that the first three brachas are shavach; they represent praise of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and they tell us, and we'll explore this a little bit more uh, later on. But they tell us who God is. They address the question of who God is, gives us that uh, that that frame of reference, and this by Chazal is compared to a servant who knows. Or you really could think of it in terms of a, a a business proposal. So when you go in, before you get to the ask, before you go ahead and you uh, say what you want, so what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to praise the king as powerful and capable. So that's what Shevach, the first three brachas, all give us that frame of reference of who we are talking to and what his characteristics are. Then we have the middle three brachas. So that is the bakashos. That represents beginning with atachonein and ending with shomea tefillah. So those are the actual requests. These are where we come forward to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and we lay out what exactly we want from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And maybe at some point we'll talk about why it is that every day we say the exact, we ask for the exact same things. But we have the middle section, which are the requests. And then the final brachas are what Chazal referred to as hoda'ah beginning with Ritzei, 
and uh, most uh, prominently with uh, with the bracha of Modim, where we give thanks to Hakadosh Baruch Hu for everything which He has provided for us. And the significance of that is that it's actually rude that if you go in and you make a request and then you just turn around and you walk out. So on your way out, you're going to want to thank the uh, the person that you're making the requests from. In this case, it's going to be God. So he wants to make sure that on his way out, you give a thank you. I appreciate the time. I appreciate uh, the attention. I appreciate those things that you have provided for me. Uh, so that's going to be like the servant on his way out is also going to give thanks to the master for even considering the possibility that maybe he would uh, he would grant our request. Now, the Gemara Megillah, it's two places. There's a Gemara in Megillah, it's a Gemara in Brachos. So the, uh, the Chazal go ahead and use Sukim to explain the sequence of these 19 Brachos. So it's not as if that somebody went ahead and was tasked with the responsibility of composing 19 different brachas. And then once we have the text, so then we just sort of shuffle them together and we end up with the order in which they are. But the sequence is actually very specific and very logical. And if somebody wants, you could, uh, you know, I could point you in the direction of where exactly those gemaras are to explore that. But it's all based on psukim, based on uh, the juxtaposition of ideas in various psukim. So they tell us how to go from concept one to two to three to four to five, all, all, all the way through. But in order to fully appreciate that presentation of Chazal, so one really has to be an expert in Tanakh. So it's not enough just to look up those psukim. You have to see the context of the psukim. You have to see the meforshim on the psukim. And um, to appreciate it from that perspective requires a fluency in Tanakh, which I certainly don't have. But we'll try, and uh, but commentators offer other ways by which we can sort of structure the Shmonasre or the Amida, so that we should understand what the sequence is and what the, the different themes which are contained within them. Now, what's one thing which is important to realize is that the first three brachas and the last three brachas never change. Now, it's true we say Sim Shalom versus Shalom Rav, but the, the intent of the bracha doesn't really change, meaning that on Shabbos and Yontif, Let's put aside Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but on Shabbos and Yontif, so the same three brachas that we say during the week are the ones that we say on Shabbos and Yontif, and the last three brachas which we say uh, during the week are also the last uh, the last three brachas. The only thing which changes is that during the weekday, so we have thirteen brachas in the middle which are there to they contain our requests, and on Shabbos we um, condense those 13 brachas into a single bracha. That's number one. We end up with a single bracha. And then on top of that, there's no requests. The, the, the Shimon Esri, the Amida, which we say on Shabbos, does not contain a a, a, a request. And uh, it's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll explore at some point why exactly that is, that if the whole point of Shimon Esri, certainly during the week, is the Bakashos, right? The way we explain from Chazal that the first three brachas are to introduce us to uh, to sort of butter up God, preparing us for the request. Then we deliver the request, and then to make sure that we don't seem like we're kafui tover, that we are just in it for ourselves. So we make sure to thank God on the way out. But somehow on on uh, Shabbos and Yantif, 
So the what would seem to be the main part of the Shmoneser, which is the request, is completely absent. So this is something which obviously needs to be uh, to be explored. But before we get to any of that, so we will uh, focus our attention, as we said, on the weekday Shmoneser, because that's the one that we say more often than uh, than Shabbos and Yontif. And uh, we're going to explore two different explanations, two different ways by which to understand the structure of these 19 brachas, of the, uh, the, the Amida. And um, now, the, uh, so as far as the first three brachas are concerned, so one approach understands that there's a parallel between the first set of three brachas and the second set of three brachas. So even though they're separated significantly, but nonetheless, there's a parallel between them. You could line them up in a chart, and you could see the common denominator between the first three and the second three. And the first three brachas, so they are addressing the fundamental questions of, number one, who governs the universe? Who's the one who's in charge of everything which, which exists? Then we ask the question, we, we wonder, what are the powers of that being that runs the universe, that governs the universe. And then we want to know what influences him. Who is it? What are his powers? And in what way is he going to be influenced? And the answers are, who is who is the one who governs the universe? That is God, the God of our, our forefathers. So he's the one who's in charge of the universe. Elokeinu, Elokei Avoseinu, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzhak, Elokei Yaakov. So we go ahead and we identify who it, exactly it is. Then we have the question, what are his powers? What are the powers of this being that governs the universe? And the answer to that is, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Atagibor le'olam Hashem. That's how we begin the bracha. We talk about gr- God's great power in nothing. Mechayim and matirasurim, zokef kefufim, v'rofecholim. All of those things which we describe, those are all capturing the powers which God, the Creator, possesses. And then finally, to address the third question, what influences him, we say, atakadosh, that you are holy, Holy in the sense that you are totally removed, separate and apart from the universe which we humans experience, and you're not influenced by anything. There's no way we're going to be able to, uh, you know, put pressure on God in any way. There's no way we're going to be able to speak to somebody who knows somebody who has a brother-in-law who's familiar with God, who's going to be able to change things. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by the very definition, is Ata Kadosh, Shimcha Kadosh. Kadosh means separate and apart from. So that is, the first three brachas help us understand who we are speaking to, who governs the universe, who's in, who, what are the powers of that one, and is there anything that we can do to influence him? Now the parallel is we move to the last three brachas, so asks almost the same questions, but from our perspective. In the last three brachas, ask the questions, number one, who are we? Who are we as the people who are davening? Number two, what are our powers? And then number three, what influences us? So it's the same questions, but not addressing the creator. Now we're addressing who we are. We're now reflective about our position in the universe. And the answers are, number one, we are servants of God. So who are we? We are, we want you to go ahead and see us as your servants. That's who we are. We're servants of God. And as such, we go ahead and we do the avoda. 
That's why the first of those last three brachas is called Avoda, because that's our responsibility. That's who we are. We are servants of God. Ovde Hashem. Avde Hashem. That, 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 that's the definition of who we are. And then we ask the question, what are our powers? And the answer is, we are powerless. Totally dependent on God. He provides us with anything. My sitter home, and now I left it. All right, so we say, um, I'm not one of those people who's good at quoting things like that out of context and completely uh, uh, off my head. Uh, so you are the rock of our lives. You are the shield of our salvation in every generation. And we give thanks to you because our very lives are delivered in your hands and our souls are also uh, are, are yours to go ahead and watch over. So our very existence, which is our lives and our souls, so that is all yours, God. So we recognize that we are powerless in this world, and everything is going to be a this gift from, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that leads us to be filled with gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all he has done. So that's why that second-to-last bracha is modim, is us giving thanks for the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides us with all that we have. And then the third question that we ask uh, as we reflect on ourselves is, what exactly influence, uh, influences us? So for that, we say that it is the heavenly harmony of peace that maintains our existence. That's the bracha of shalom. So what's going to dominate and what's going to influence us much more than anything else which exists in this world is shalom itself. And that's why the bracha says, Sim shalom all of those things are what we need in order to be positioned well, to be able to succeed. And that is the question of what is going to influence us and recognizing and acknowledging that it's going to be shalom, which is going to be the greatest positive influence on our existence. So therefore, we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for that. So that is approach number one in terms of understanding the first three brachas and the last three brachas. And this approach is very nice in terms of that it's presented in a nice, neat package. Three questions at the beginning, three questions at the end, and the questions are the same, just whether we're focusing the questions on God's existence or whether we're focusing the bracha on our existence. But it doesn't necessarily fit uh, precisely within the words. It takes a size four or five uh, hammer to go ahead and get that in. The second approach is much more loyal to the text, so it's going to fit into the words easier. It's less of a, uh, you don't need as large of a hammer to go ahead and uh, and make it work. But it does lack the nice, neat parallel between the three and three and how they line up with, the, with, with one another. But it's also going to be addressing this issue of questions. So the first bracha asks the question, who are we to come before God? So here we are, we're approaching God. Remember that the the that is opposed to the rest of uh, davening, which is uh, the mental preparation, or perhaps we would call it in the 21st century, the meditation that we do to get ourselves ready to have a conversation with God. Shmona Esri itself is the one time 
there was the one part of davening where we're having a direct conversation, intimate conversation, private conversation between yourself and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So as you approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so anybody who is thoughtful and anybody who is able to think conceptually about what exactly is going on, so Shmonesu should really be a frightening experience. Because here we are standing before a powerful individual who has the power of life and death in his hands, and we have this opportunity to be able to speak to him directly and to be able to present our requests to him. And that should be incredibly, incredibly intimidating. And when we approach, we ask ourselves, how can I be here? How can I be present uh, by God in order to be able to have a private, intimate conversation with him? That should be the scariest uh, thing ever. And to that, we say, you're right. You may be somebody who's not great, and you may, on your own merit, lack the ability to be able to approach God, but we are descendants of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, Sarifka, Rachel, and by virtue of our Zaydis and our Babis, our Saba and our Safta, so that allows us to be able to have access to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which we may not have been able to earn on our own, but by virtue of our connection with them, that's what gives us standing. That's what allows us to be able to stand in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence and be able to uh, have a conversation with him. So it's not on our own credentials that we're approaching God. We're approaching God based on the credentials of those who preceded us and those who are greater than ourselves. That's what the first bracha goes at and addresses. And then the second bracha we say, now that I know what allows me to be present in before God, now we ask ourselves the question, who is God that we should dive into him? Which, it's it's such an interesting idea that every time we say Shemon we ask ourselves that question, or we remind ourselves of that question, who is God that we're going to approach him with all of our requests, and that we should dive into him? And the answer, like we said before, is that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful, Nothing is beyond his uh, his uh, his ability. That although we as humans are bound by the limitations of our human uh, condition and our human existence and laws of science and whatnot, God isn't bound by any of those things, and therefore He could do all of these incredibly miraculous things, which He does on a regular basis, which are truly miraculous. Where we go and we characterize him as Somech Noflim, Verofe Holi, Matira Surim, Mekaime Munasoli Shene Afar. So we say all of those things about God uh, capturing the power which he possesses because it's important for us to know who we are speaking to when we are standing in his presence in this, in this conversation. And he even has the ability to resurrect the dead. As advanced as technology is, as advanced as medical technology is, Still, we don't have the capacity to go ahead and resurrect the dead. So this is who God is. And then the third bracha follows the answer to the first two questions. And once we know who we are, and our standing is rooted or is built on the foundation of Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Sarbrikha, Rachel, and Leah, and we know who God is, that he is the powerful being that brought the universe into existence and continues to be able to demonstrate his power. So we wonder about what's the relationship between God and ourselves. We've defined the two parts, 
Now we want to know what is the common denominator that we and HaKadosh Baruch Hu share that allows us to be able to relate, that allows us to be able to converse, that allows us to be able to connect with one another. And that we say is the fact that that is going to be Kedusha. That Ata Kadosh, Shimcha Kadosh, you are holy, your name is holy. Ukedoshim, according to this Pshat, Kedoshim is referring to Kla Yisrael. Recently, Am Segula Vagoy Kadosh, we're a holy nation. So we are also Kedoshim, Bechol Yom Yaluchasel, every day we. We praise God. So the common denominator which links us together, which allows us to have this intimate conversation, which allows us to connect, is Kedusha itself. And that's what the third bracha is addressing, is the common language and the common denominator which links us, uh, which links us together. And it's that parallel in the relationship which allows us to be able to then approach God, move on to the next part of the Shemon Esrei, which is going to be the request itself. So now we know why we're together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay. Then we move on to, according to this explanation, we move on to the last of the three, the, the sorry, the, the last three brachas. So what are they coming to uh, address? So the first of those last three brachas is, as we said, that's what we call the bracha of Avoda. That's the bracha of Ritzay. And that this is addressing the question, once we finished the middle section, which contains our requests, then what we wonder, which is what all of us wonder, anybody who is a sincere davener wonders this, hopefully regularly, but at least once in a while. So what is the sign that our prayers have been answered? I've invested myself so significantly into uh, the davening. So how do I know that my answer is uh, that we've been answered in full? even when the answer is no, but at least we know that we've received an answer. How do we know that? So that is when we finally return to Yushalayim and we begin to offer korbanos again. So korbanos, that's the primary definition of avoda. That's the primary definition of service of God. And through the power of korbanos, so that's when we are able to receive, um, or I don't know about instant, but we're able to receive a more clear communication of the effectiveness of our service of God. Uh, for simplicity, just think about what Chazal described in terms of the Yom Kippur Avod of the Kohen Gadol. So in the Yom Kippur Avod of, of, uh, of the Kohen Gadol, we know that part of what happened was is that there was a red string which was around the horns of the goat, which is going to be sent off of the side of the mountain. And at a certain point in the Avoda, so some of that string remains in the Beis Amitash, some of that string remains with the goat. And in the base of Inter, somewhere way outside of Yushalayim on some cliff, the goat is thrown off the side over there. Don't tell Pita, but a goat is thrown off of the side of the mountain over there. And then miraculously in the base of Mitash, the red string turns white. And that is the communication from God that Klayusel has been forgiven. So here in the Beis Amitash, when we're actually doing the Avoda of Korbanos, so we don't do the service and wonder, was it accepted, was it not accepted? Is God happy with what we have done, or is God not satisfied with what we've done? The culmination of our Avoda is to be able to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has accepted our prayers and he's answered them. 
That's one of the difficulties that we have in our Gaulist existence. One of the primary challenges we have in our exile existence is that we don't know whether God is listening. We don't know whether he answered. We don't know whether the answer is yes, no, maybe give it some time. We're going to think about it a little more. Ask me tomorrow. So we're left with this huge doubt, and that is the the um, the, uh, the the challenge of not being able, of, of Hester Panim, of God's concealment, that he doesn't answer right away. I shouldn't say it like that. He doesn't inform us of his answer right away. But in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, so then we'll have those answers in, as I said, in almost, potentially in an almost instant manner. Then we ask... Rabbi, I thought we yep. were taught that Tfilot replaced Harbonot. Correct, they do. So why do we have to wait for Karbanot? Uh, because they're not Karbanot. <laughs> you know, so, so, some people use um, uh, um, uh, whatever artificial sweetener in place of sugar. Why do I need an artificial sweetener in place of sugar? Because you can't it's have sugar. Sweet. What? You want some right. So it, but But it's not the same. Those of us who don't like diet uh, soda, so we can tell right away that this is a, a, a big fake. So tefillah is a replacement, is a, I don't want to say a cheap replacement, but it's a replacement for the primary avoda, which is the korbanot. So it's the best we can do without a beis amikdash. But You're telling nothing, us it's fake? Nothing beats the real thing. Who said that? Whose advertisement was it? It's substitute. It's a substitute. A substitute, yeah. Remember this. Uh, we we didn't go through this. Maybe at some point we'll we'll go through this. But remember that for the beginning uh, thousand or maybe close to two thousand years of Klal existence, we didn't have Shmonesre. Prayer, as we know, it didn't really exist. That came into existence towards the end of the second Beis Hamikdash, as they anticipated that the Beis Hamikdash was going to be destroyed again. In this time, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash would leave Klai Yisrael in exile for a long duration of time, rather than just seventy years. So, without a without that pillar of avoda, so how would how would the world be able to continue to exist? So Chazal went ahead and they introduced and they innovated. Really, this is one of the. Uh, if you had to have like a top five innovations in Klai Yisrael's history. So tefillah is one of them, to be able to replace the korbanot with tefillah. But it's done in a way where it's done really in the absence of God. Because it's Hester Panim, because God remains concealed. We introduce tefillah in a circumstance where God's presence is concealed, as opposed to Beis where God's presence was revealed. So that's why we don't get the, the same instant response. It's like dial-up. <laughs> you never know. It is going to connect. It's not going to connect. How long will it take for it to connect? How many neighbors are trying to connect? You have all those different factors which uh, you know weigh on uh, you know how strong of a signal you're going to go ahead and you're going to receive. So that's what ha happens now. Um, okay, so now we say that, uh, then we ask, uh, why have we prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Right. What's the reason why we, we davened to him? And the answer is, is that he is the source of all life and the source of all bracha. So that's what the bracha of modim is, is we give 
thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, acknowledging, as we read before, Al Chayenu HaMesurim Biyadecha, for the very lives, our very existence, which is in your hand. We give thanks for the miracles and the wonders. Hatov, all of you are good, and we don't want any of your mercy to cease. Hamrachem, you are compassionate, and we don't want any of that to, to, to cease. So that is all. Um, uh, why it is that we uh, we pray to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, because we recognize that He has all of those powers and all of the brachas which we seek have to come through Him. They're not going to come through our own efforts. It has to ultimately come through Him. And then finally, we ask how the bless uh, uh, how is the blessing of God, who's the source of all life, as we just established in the previous bracha. So how is all of that going to be realized? And the answer to that is, it's through the light of God's presence as reflected in the concept of shalom. So that is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with the best metaphor that we could use for God's influence in this world is the metaphor of light. It's something that we could see. It's something that we could feel. It's something which has certain qualities to it, which are measurable, but it's not something which uh, from our putting aside any sophisticated equipment, it's not something that's actually tangible that we can touch and we can feel. So it's something which is present, but it's not something which is, which is, which is physical in the normal way that we experience the physical universe. So shalom is the ultimate way by which we're going to be able to not only receive the brachas, but it's going to be the way by which the brachas are going to be, are going to be experienced. Okay, now, so that, it, that, that is two different explanations as far as the first three brachas and the last three brachas. Now, we have to explore the middle set of 12, originally composed, or 13, the way we have, the way our Shemoneser is instructed now, uh, constructed now, those 13 brachas. So here also, I found two different explanations to understand that uh, the, the structure. And they give us a framework to understand the uh, sorry, the tornado uh, sirens are going off. Okay, if we lose our signal, it's because God's <laughs> demonstrating His strength. <laughs> Atagi Bor, He's uh, making a <laughs> God may make a cameo <laughs> in the middle of class <laughs> and uh, take down the uh, the internet. Okay. So regarding the middle set of 13 brachas, so as I said, there's, there's two different explanations to understand what the sequence and the structure of this seemingly random set of, uh, of, of questions. And um, so the Gemara tells us one of the ways by which we do it is that the Gemara brachos gives us, and this is the, the Gemara that you're referring to, Mel. So the Gemara tells us that there are potentially two different sources for the idea of davening Shachras, Mincha, and Marav. One source is, as Mel mentioned, is the Korbanot, is that it corresponds to, there was a daily morning sacrifice, there was a daily afternoon sacrifice, and then at night, whatever was left over would be burned on the Mizbeach, that was the, the nighttime avoda. And then the other uh, source for it is Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Chazal identified that Avram Avinu was the one who introduced Shachris, davening in the morning, Yitzchak Avinu was the one who davened in the afternoon, and Yaakov Avinu is the one who davened at night. 
Okay, but we're going to go with the, in order to understand the inner structure of the middle 13 brachas of Shmon Esrei, so we're going to go with the approach that Shmon Esrei was patterned after the bringing of Korbanos. Okay, so now, the the we know from learning the Gemaras related to the offering of Korbanos that the essential part of offering a Korban was the blood application the smearing of the blood or the spritzing of the blood onto the Mizbech itself. So that is what makes or breaks a successful korban. We know also from Yom Kippur, for example, that if the blood spills before it has, gets to the Mizbech, so you have to start again. Go back to go, do not collect $200, and no credit for that uh, that korban. So everything really revolves around the, uh, the, uh, the blood application. And the Mishnah tells us that when it comes to the Tamid, when it comes to the daily morning korban or the daily afternoon korban, so the manner by which the korban was, the blood was applied to Mizbech was, Shtayim Shehem Arba. It's two applications, which are four. That's what the Mishnah says. That's the language of the Mishnah. What does it mean when we say that it's two, which are four? So how do two pourings become four? How exactly do we do that the, that halachic math, that two really equals four? So the Gemara tells us that the Kohen, he would ascend the ramp of the Mizbeach, and he would first go to the northeast corner. So we talk about that being New York. So first he would go to New York, northeast corner, and then he would go ahead and he would put the, the blood on that corner, so that would cover both north as well as east. Two of the directions are covered. Then he would circle the Mizbeach, and he would land in the southwest corner. He would land in L.A., and he would do another application on the corner, covering the southern and the western walls. So one application was northeast, one application was southwest. So although he put, he only did two applications onto the Mizbeach, he covered off all four walls. He covered all four directions. And now we know from our years of experience in the, in Jewish thought and whatnot, that nothing in Yiddishkeit, nothing in Judaism is ever going to be accidental, is ever by coincidence, is ever happenstance. Everything always has great significance to it. And it represents, we know that there's the different levels of Torah, Pardes, there's Pshat, Remez, Drash, and Sod, and you can always dig deeper and deeper into the meaning of what is is that we do. So these ideas of northeast and southwest, so those aren't randomly done, that it just happens to be that you have to pick some direction, so we're going to do northeast and we're going to do southwest. But every part of that is something which is represents a great de- a great depth and something which is very significant. So the north represents what the uh, the commentators tell us is, is that north represents material wealth. That's what when we talk about something existing on the northern side, so north, north is always material wealth. And this is evident from the fact that the shulchan inside of the heichal, the shulchan which contained the 12 loaves of bread, so that was on the northern wall of the heichal. So that's what north always represents, uh, uh, material wealth. And west always represents God's divine presence. So we have the western wall. 
we have in the western part of the Beis Hamikdash. That's where the Aron was stored. That was by the western wall, and um, sorry, I skipped east. So east, I didn't skip, but now we'll do it. East represents God's spirit or light that enters into our world. And that you could uh, simply explain that the sun rises on the east. Always, well, the sun always rises on the eastern horizon. So that represents the beginning of God's spirit or God's light, which is entering into this world. And then finally, on the western side, uh, sorry, on the south, so that represents the beneficial forces of fertility. That's what the, the, the Mephorshim say. So we have God's light, we have material wealth, we have God's presence, and we have fertility. So what does this mean? So now we go back to the blood application in the of, of the Korban. So we said we put it on the northeast corner and the southwest corner. So what forces are merging together when the blood is put on the northeast corner and the southwest corner? So therefore, northeast, that's the place where spiritual and material forces of the individual come together. North is Shochan. East is where God's light comes into the world. One second, home. And the southwest corner represents these very same blessings, but on a communal level. Rather than being for the individual, it's going to be for the for the community. And the same idea, again, we're not, we can't go through all of it right now, but it, it it's a fascinating topic to explore. And that is that the Torah describes in what would seem to be um, unnecessary detail exactly how Klai Yisrael encamped in the wilderness in a perfect square. Three tribes north, three tribes south, three tribes east, and three tribes west. And each one of those tribes, we know that they received brachas from Yaakov Avinu, and those tribes received brachas from Moshe Rabbeinu. And if you trace that, if you follow all of that, so the tribes to the north, as you said, that's going to be representative of a bracha of material wealth. The ones to the south, that's going to be fertility. The ones which is to the east is God's presence. The ones which are to uh, the east is God's light. And the uh, west is going to be the God's, uh, God's presence. So all of the tribes which are there, they're all uh, 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 placed very specifically. And even, again, this is something which, uh, which if the advanced class, but you could even go ahead and see which one is due east versus due west. Which one is east a little bit to the north? Which one is east a little bit to the south? Which one is south but leans a little bit east? Each one of those has a little bit of a mixture. Some of them are purebreds, and some of them have different combinations, <laughs> different traits uh, together, sort of reminiscent of what we do, what some people do Kabbalistically in Sphere Saomer, where we have the seven emanations, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzach, Yesod, Hod, and Malchus. And then you have those combinations. So you have Netzach Shebehod and Hod Shebenetzach. And you have Chesed Shebegvura and Gvura Shebechesed. And which one is first and which one is second? All of those things are going to shape and color what exactly the spiritual manifestation of that is, which, um, which filters are we putting over the light, and what how does the light appear as it goes through those filters when it goes blue into red or red into blue? So it's going to produce a slightly different hue on the other side. So the same thing is going to be true with regards to the location of all of the shvatim, as well as the blood placement. 
in what brachas we're trying to invoke by having something combined north and east together, material wealth, and the initial, the spirit of light of God that enters into the world versus the southwest, which is going to be the presence of God together with fertility. And those things are going to be very significant. And as we're going to see, that's going to represent, that's going to help us understand the structure of these middle 13 brachas of Shvon Yes, Ellen. Uh, you, you answered it. That's fine. Oh, excellent. Did Bilam also break it down by threes that way? Say again? He, did Bilam also break down his brachas uh, as, uh, by threes? Um, I don't I remember. Don't, I don't recall that he was so specific like that. I think he, I think he saw more the big picture structure of Klai Yisrael, rather than the individual shvatim of how they manifest themselves differently. I think so. Um, okay, so that is as far as that. Um, okay, so I think we'll hold it over here. So now that we know this idea, so what we will do is uh, next week, we'll then apply this idea to the middle 13 brachas, and then we'll see the second explanation, which also will give us another way to structure these uh, these middle 13, uh, 13 brachas. Thank you, Rabbi. All righty, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank uh, so you. Good night. Th Thursday, 8.30 here, 9.30 on the East Coast. Uh, what that, Where is it on the uh, West Coast, Ralph, which is not really the West Coast? 6.30, Rabbi. <laughs> 6.30, okay. 6.30.